Well, hello and welcome to this week's Photographic Life, episode 301. And the first, uh, I suppose, episode of The Conversation with Bill Shapiro. Something that happens on this podcast every month. Well, who's Bill? Well, he's a writer, he's an editor, he's a curator, and he's an expert on photography. And my name is Grant Scott, and I'm a filmmaker, photographer, lecturer, and all sorts of other things, as you probably know if you listen to this podcast regularly. We've got a lot to discuss this week. We're talking about the long-term project. Therefore, the introduction is short, but the engagement is long. Okay, so Bill, welcome to 2024 and welcome back to the podcast. Well, it's great to be on the podcast and it's great to be uh, in 2024. I'm glad we both made it. Uh, We did just, didn't we, after our new year. I mean, I wonder how good our new year uh, suggestions are sort of uh, future telling will be. We'll have to see. But what we're going to talk about this time is once again, you are so good at doing uh, your work, your homework, and also coming up with um, suggestions for directions that the conversation can go in. And this time you mentioned the long-term project. I did. Um, You know, I get a lot of inbound questions and comments from people on my Instagram feed and whatnot. And and a lot of them ask about, uh, ask, you know, sort of what I think about long-term projects, you know, this aspect or that. And so I thought it would be a good thing, you know, for you and I to kick around. Sounds good. I mean, when I thought about the long-term project, because it's something I didn't really come across, I suppose until maybe maybe 10 years ago or something, when I started to talk to photographers who were working in kind of more contemporary art practice or kind of documentary work, which wasn't the kind of photographers I was working with prior to that. Then also what I was thinking about was this comment that is so often made that today we have such a short attention span not only for making work, but observing work. Was that something you were kicking about in your mind also? Yeah, you know, that's really interesting um, and and a great angle to take on this. Um, for those of us who spend a lot of time on on Instagram or, or, or maybe now threads, um, we are used to probably, I'm making this number up, this is not based on science grant, we're probably used to looking at, you know, 15, 16, um, or more pictures in a minute. Compare that to, for example, uh, Life Magazine in the days of glory, when people would sit down, you know, in their big chair and page through this magazine, read the story, read the captions, obviously study the pictures, go back and forth on the pages, look at the picture before, look at the picture after, go back to the first picture. And and now, you know, we we look at, like I said, 20 pictures while we're waiting in line at the bank, kind of as we overhear somebody else's conversation. So I do think it's it's uh, um, something to contend with. But it also made me think here was my my second thought to this was whilst our kind of um, connection with photography, as you absolutely rightly say, it can be so fleeting, that kind of instant hit. When we come to filmmaking, so visual storytelling in a, in a film form, films have got longer and longer and longer now, um, based on the idea of Netflix and episodes and so forth. Suddenly we're in the, the four-hour film or the three-and-a-half-hour film. So 
despite the fact that photography is being absorbed in that quick way, now cinema seems to have gone in the opposite direction. Well, yes and no. Um, um, I, w- I mean, I do watch longer films from my couch, but I might watch them over two nights. Uh, I might watch them with a snack in the middle, certainly five, six, seven bathroom breaks. Um, and and so while the, the length of the film is longer, I'm not sure that, that we're sitting for four hours at a stretch, you know, especially while you're at home and, and all the distractions of of home. But I do think there's, you know, there's there's something else when it comes to um photography in the long-term project, which is what I hear quite a bit from photographers with respect to magazines. There aren't that many magazines that are letting that are paying for photographers to spend a lot of time out in the field to make a long-term project. And there's not a lot of magazines that are giving over 16, 20, 22 pages again, like Life Magazine used to do, to show the results, the fruit of a long-term project. Well, I mean, absolutely. And I know we're going to talk about kind of the death of publishing in its traditional form later. Well, we always do, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we're going to dedicate a a whole part of the conversation to it because I think it is so relevant. And also, as we've said um, previously, you know, National Geographic is gone. That was certainly the home of the long-form project. And so I suppose that there, it leaves us with two natural kind of artifacts outcomes for, for the long-term project. One is the gallery space, the exhibition space, and the other is the book. Yeah, and I actually have even some questions about the gallery space because a lot of the great photos that make a long-term project are, how do I put this, um, You know, possibly interstitial. And they don't necessarily look good over your fireplace or on your wall. And so I I can't remember the last time I went to a gallery and saw a long-term project as a narrative. And, and there's different kinds of long-term projects, and we and we can talk about that. But um anyway, I, I think the gallery space is is possibly problematic for a long-term project. Well, I suppose it becomes the greatest hits of a long-term project, doesn't it? Well, that's exactly right. You know, whereas some images, are, I always describe them as full stops and commas, as, as they kind of progress the narrative. Yeah, that that's a great way of putting it. Their 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 punctuation. <laughs> yeah. So, if we're talking about the photo book, I bet you've spoken to some people that are going to be able to inform us on that. You are correct, sir. Um, the first person I spoke with was uh, Aaron Springer, um, and that's E-R-I-N-N. And and Aaron, you know, I've been watching her work for a while uh, in the New York Times and other outlets, but this book she published last year called Dormant Season, I thought was simply extraordinary. Um, in short, during the pandemic, she returned to her family's home in rural Wisconsin and in black and white, photographed inside uh, people's homes and the environments and in, in, in their environments in a way that feels really full of emotion and longing and maybe a little haunting. And she shot dormant season over years. And so the the first question I asked Aaron um, was this: What do you think a long term project of? And I defined it as a year or more. We can talk about what a proper definition of long term is. What, what do you think a long-term project gives you that a short-term or medium-term project doesn't? And this is what Aaron said. It gives you the space to grow as an individual. That personal growth is reflected in the work, 
And I found that my uh, photos took on a depth that might not have been present otherwise. Short-term projects typically reflect a photographer's specific state of mind or singular emotion, whereas long-form work encapsulates and reflects the organic experience of life and its many contrasts. I asked Aaron a bunch of questions that we can go to them, but I love the idea, and it wasn't one that I'd thought about, that in some ways the long-term project is for the photographer's psychology and emotional state as opposed to or in addition to what's going on with the subjects. But it allows that, that time for personal growth, doesn't it, and reflection and analysis you know i mean and 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 we'll we'll get into that a little bit later but but this idea that you know you could be in a fantastic mood with everything going on in your life uh during one week two weeks later you could be down in the dumps with a little case of the blues and both those states will have an impact on what you see through the lens and over the course of a year for a body of work to reflect all those states in the photographer, irrespective of the subject, I thought I thought was really interesting. It is, but it also does raise that issue you've already raised about what is a long-term project. You know, I remember talking to the photographer Steve Pike, and he works on a number of long-term projects that have gone over decades. And there's one particular one that won't finish until he takes a picture from his deathbed. And that will be the end of that project. And that's a lifelong project. So I mean, I sure hope, well, I hope he doesn't get hit by a bus. Well, knowing Steve, he probably might, but I don't know. But I don't think it's kind of interesting, that idea, that actually perhaps we talk so much around the idea of something being personal and personal project and so forth. We've, we've, we've dealt with that. But now we're really getting to the crux of something. And we're saying, actually, what we're talking about here is your life. Your life, um, the the life of your mind, the life of your body, because um, you will take different kinds of pictures when you're a younger person than an older person, for sure. So, but when we talk about long term, you know, it's interesting because today, like celebrity shoots, for example, you know, might be 20 minutes, Right. Uh, they might be a half an hour. They, if you're lucky, they might be a few hours. You know, ba- back in the in uh, at life, I remember. You know, John Dominus spent three weeks, three weeks with Steve McQueen, and and you know, Gordon Parks was set loose for um, I think it was uh, six weeks to shoot uh, a story called "The Atmosphere of Crime" in in four or five different American cities. Today, I don't think I would call three weeks or six weeks a long-term project, but everything else has been shortened so much that I think um, it begs a definition of, of, and I'm curious to think what you think long-term is. Well, I don't know. I think you've raised a really good point there because all these things are relative. And you've just reminded me, I, I once spent two days with Janet Jackson um, do, you know, doing a set, a set of portraits. And that wasn't that long ago. I mean, we're only talking about the late 90s uh, there for that, that. That was pretty long ago. Okay. <laughs> okay, bring me down, bring me down. Um, I don't know, but you've raised a really interesting point there. It's relative. Uh, what else did Aaron have to say? Yeah, so so I asked Aaron, um, what does a long-term project 
um, sorry, how does a long-term project change the way you see your subjects, the topic, and also important, how does it change the way you see yourself? And she, she responded, through time, I became more aware of my own presence in the work. The same way a child grows to understand that they exist in the world and can interact with it, I became aware of my own interaction and role with the subjects and world I was photographing and creating. Working in the area where I grew up, this was rural Wisconsin, uh, I inherently felt the dimensionality of the place and the specific subjects, but I needed time to explore how best to visualize that. But that's also quite interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, did she shoot this digitally or, or through analog? Um, I believe she shot um, digital, but I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. It's, I, I just wonder if that ties into it, of course, because there's always technological changes as well, if you're talking over a very long, long period of time. Right. But, you know, digital photography does force us to make very quick decisions over the success of an image and obviously the long form allows us to, if we're if we're good at it storing them labeling them and then returning and it's, it's as much to me an editing process as it is a making process you know i i think the idea of editing a long-term project um is something that maybe we should come back to uh, once we've heard some of the, what the photographers say, because I think that's such a great point, because so often you see something different in your images um, after a couple of years or after you come to really know some of these people that you couldn't have seen on day one or day four or week one. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you speak to anybody else, Bill? Or did Aaron have anything else to specific? Um, Aaron, Aaron had something else to say, and I, and I thought this was interesting. I, and um, and it's sort of to the point of the editing. I asked her how your how did your images change over the course of a year or two? Uh, do you see a difference between those pictures taken on on month two versus year two? And she said, I became really tuned into things I was trying to find intellectually and experientially. However, the approach of being dialed in or thinking that I was caused me to have a tight grip on my creativity. I was less open to perfection and I was more concerned with the intention of the work rather than the experience of creating it and whatever journey that took me on. The process can be analogous to a long hike. The beginning is exciting with all the open road ahead. Everything is fresh and new in mind and body. And I am perhaps even a little naive for what's to come. With a few miles and increasing elevation, however, doubt begins to replace curiosity. Small tasks become arduous and you begin to conserve energy for necessary tasks. This is the part when I had a tight grip. I was very focused on the path and did not deviate. In this rigidity, I began to realize that experimentation, play, and the act of simply being is what led me to the most interesting images. So did she feel she was tightening up, do you think, and needed to kind of break that kind of structure? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and she said, the earliest photos have a purity and curiosity I could never replicate again. I didn't overthink anything because there was nothing to overthink, no goal, no consequences. I feel like the final photographs were supporting roles to the earlier moments. I was led to those moments from my heart. And through time, I was able to assign intellectual meaning through a consciousness I didn't have early on. 
It's very interesting because she's bringing a very, very thoughtful, reflective, intellectual approach to it. But I am reminded of something at the complete opposite end of the spectrum, which is my 11-year-old daughter has been making photographs on her phone from the car as we drive to school each day. The the pictures are great because she's completely open. She doesn't care if they're in focus or not. They're really abstract. They're kind of like, sometimes they look like Rothko's and, and other times they look like a Gerhard Richter's. And it's really strange. But of course, very quickly, she started to say, I don't need to do it from this point on the journey anymore because I've done that. I'm repeating myself. And I think that's one of the problems of the long-term project is that rapid sense of repetition. So is there a rapid sense of repetition or if you look more closely, do other details reveal themselves that you hadn't noticed early on? I think that you're absolutely right, but I think that's what you need to understand that you need to do. It, I, do you know what I'm saying? I think it's kind of, you need to identify. And I think Erin's kind of gone, okay, this isn't quite, I need to go here, I need to go there. You know, she's bringing a very informed approach. But actually, it's very easy to get lulled into a sense of repetition and just keep doing the same thing again and again. But maybe what she's saying is growth, that, you know, that's what's important in the making of the work. Yeah, you know, I wished I had asked these photographers, and 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 I'm uh, excited to read you what the what the some of the comments from the next the next photographer. But I wish I had asked them if they'd ever taken a break during their long term project, and if that was rejuvenating to them or or eye opening in a way to let, let to sort of make yourself come to it fresh, you know, by taking some time. I think they probably did, because I don't know of any photographer that just works on one project, as we've discussed previously. So I reckon there's probably been a few short-term hits and kind of different stuff happening. And then I think the long-term is something that you return to. Right, right. So so the long-term as the sort of backbone or spine, um, in addition to your daily commissions or weekly commissions or whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, literally, I hate to use this these words, but it's your photographic life. Yes. It really is what it is. That's right. Um, so then the next uh, photographer I spoke with, um, his name is Rich Frischman. Um, he shoots, it's really interesting what he does. Um, in a way, he shoots ghosts. He shoots public places that have hidden importance. His current project, which he's been working on for six years, is titled Ghosts of Segregation, and the full title of his book, which is great, is called Ghosts of Segregation, American Racism Hidden in Plain Sight. So in short, what Rich does is he shoots places like old movie theaters and and diners and bus stations in kind of an architectural style. And these are places that were once segregated in the United States. So, you know, no blacks allowed or only through this door. And he looks for subtle architectural traces of the past. And, and he said, our built environment is more is a more honest reflection of who we are than what we might choose to say about ourselves, which I thought was a really lovely way to put it. Yeah. And how long has he been working on this for? Six years. And he's still going. He's, I was going to say, that is a lifetime's project, isn't it? Well, what he told me was that at first when he conceived this, it was not only going to be uh, white on black racism, but also 
anti-Semitism and LGBTQ, um, uh, you know, sort of persecution and and what and bias and and Asian American, et cetera, et cetera. And he did say, "That's a lifetime. That's too much. I need to narrow this down." But I think that again is is really a useful little observation because so often a project can start out very big, but actually in actually in the making of the work, it becomes more refined and more defined. And I think, and I've heard this time and again from photographers, you know, m- most recently from, and we've talked about him uh, here on the show, Greg, uh, Dr. Greg Gulbranson, who started off shooting in the South Bronx. He started shooting kids on on bikes who were trying to stay out of stay out of the way of gun violence, and that led him to another story. You know, he kept his his uh, even though that was a long term project, it led him to something he found more compelling, and I think we have to be open to that in this practice. Even if we have dedicated ourselves to what we think of as a single long-term project, give ourselves the leeway to um, shift during the middle. Yeah. And also be open to to the the places that story takes us. I was talking to a, a video performance artist who I know the other day, and she was telling me how she's currently working on a big project about how a particular weed killer um, that was put on the crops, particularly in America, um, can be directly linked to Parkinson's disease. Her uh, mother has Parkinson's disease, and um, that's what drew her in. And her father worked for the company that produced the weed killer. And suddenly she was saying, I'm making this work, but I really have no idea why. It's not going to be the way in which it usually is. I'm becoming like a detective. and But she was open to that experience. I love it. That's great. So I asked Rich, what do you think a long-term project gives you that a short-term or medium-term project doesn't? And he said, he had quite a bit to say here. I thought it was great. He said, for me, long-term once meant a few days of following an individual around, um, see what they were really like, what they were doing, kind of a fly-on-the-wall approach to reveal a truth. But by 1977, when I joined a newspaper as a photojournalist, I had found that months were sometimes needed to honestly reveal the nuances and complexities of an individual's life. The details, subtleties, complexities of a person, place, or issue cannot be seen on the psychic surface. Breaking through that barrier takes time and it takes effort. Curiosity is key. Understanding what is revealed takes even more of all of that, plus a lot of patience. He says, I spend more time waiting than actually photographing, and I spend more time researching than I spend waiting. This slow approach allows me to meditate on the scene I'm documenting, gain a clear vision of the story I seek to convey, all the while imagining ways that I can express it. When I slow down enough, I notice things, details that were previously invisible. I feel like I'm trying to tune into a faint radio signal and it requires all my attention in order to hear it. That's when the ghosts appear. They guide me and more details reveal themselves often serendipitously. You know, I hope that people who think that photography is easy and it's just about pressing a button are listening to this episode. Yes, truly. I mean, I I love the metaphor of listening to this faint radio signal and and trying to dial it in, dial it in, push the noise out and really focus on the salient detail that will that will make a picture. 
Yeah, and it also, as I was just saying, it requires you to be so open to those frequencies to continue the metaphor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm really looking forward to discovering his work. Actually, oh, it's it's fantastic, and we'll 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 um, put a link to his book, and he's got an exhibit out um, in the show notes uh, as well as as Aaron's book, and and then the the final photographer. Um, I asked Rich. How does a long-term project change the way you see your subjects? And also, how does it change the way you see yourself? And he said, a long-term project allows me to course correct. It allows me to study and learn and to let go of preconceptions and distractions, to find the hidden heart of the subject, to focus or redirect my attention. As I was beginning Ghosts of Segregation, I was bearing witness to the past. The historic moments and inflection points of the modern civil rights struggle were familiar to me. So that is where the project began. As the pursuit of these quote-unquote ghosts continued, it became apparent that witnessing past injustices was insufficient. Injustice and racism are not past tense. They are current events. I needed to incorporate more evidence of how these specters are alive with us today. Michael Brown's murder on a street in in Ferguson, Trayvon Martin pinned to the ground and murdered in Florida, Tamir Rice shot dead while playing in Cleveland Park, and on and on. Um, so, yeah, those are all um, for for listeners who don't live in the United States. Those are those are three very well known police on black men and boy murders that took place in this country. It's also so interesting that it's such a um, an American cultural body of work. I mean, it, it yeah. would be very hard to do that here. Although, of course, Mark Wilson who's contributed to the podcast, has done a similar body of work around Nazi atrocities during the Holocaust. There is a rich um, uh, body of photographers who are dealing with this. I, I always think of Simon Norfolk in that in that basis, you know, uh, that idea of documenting a space where something occurred. Right. You know, does that space maintain the resonance? But, of course, in his work here uh he's actually got the the physicality of the painted over sign or or whatever exactly um yeah or the or the different colored bricks that show you where a door used to be um i like what he talks about course correcting and i think you know so many of the assignments um you know assignments today are uh can you get me this by three i need this by tomorrow the deadline's coming up and it does not give you a chance to course correct, let alone meditate uh, or contemplate. And and I think for a photographer who is working on short-term projects, the idea of also finding and devoting yourself to a long-term project is just this great yin and yang that I think will help people develop skills and ways of thinking and ways of seeing that they wouldn't be that wouldn't be accessible to them on these quick turnaround projects. I agree. I, I think in many ways the long-term project is as much about the photographer and, you know, the photographer's doing it for the photographer. If there is an audience as well, it's almost like a, a bonus because if it doesn't become a book, at least you've gone through the process. That's right. You've gone through the process and you have gone through doing the work of the thinking that both Aaron and Rich describe. And I think that's it's like lifting weights. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's important. Um, I, I asked Rich finally, 
are there any downsides to embarking on a long-term project that we should discuss? Because Grant, you and I just talked about at least a couple of the upsides. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, there are numerous downsides to taking on a long-term project, financial, emotional, physical. I frequently had to turn down paying gigs because I was immersed in a project, declined too frequently, and clients stopped calling. I know. Along with reducing income, there's the financial expense. For example, I have spent over 300 nights in motels for ghosts of segregation, usually at $50 a night. And even with my willingness to lodge in places that many would avoid, that's $15,000, and that's just one line in the ledger. Long-term projects test relationships, especially with families. You might be gone a long time. With ghosts, I began with short trips of a couple of weeks, then up to a month. The last outing was a road trip of over 24,000 miles lasting nine months. That took a toll on my entire family. Many photographers who take on a commitment like this um, pay a much higher price. I'm very lucky. I, he says, I call this my um, my calling. This is my life's purpose. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I was just, I, you know, I always like a metaphor. And I was thinking of like kind of, as I often do about music and in a sense, there's a difference between kind of writing a jingle and then the kind of the the three CD or four CD mega album, you know, uh, perhaps produced by your your friends, the Grateful Dead, for example. You know, one of those great tomes, or the, or the the difference between writing a short news article and writing the big book over many volumes. And we, I think, there's so much benefit in in the long form. But as he's describing there, it can take over your life. And you can lose track of actually what you're doing and how you're doing it and, and why you're doing it. That's right. Um, I wonder, have you have you done any long-term projects? Um, I did do the body of work around the banger car racing in South Wimbledon, and that was a year. Uh, and I actually ended up driving the cars as well. So I wow. literally went from photographer to uh, driver as part of kind of a, the immersion into the thing. Um, was there any point when, you know, halfway through or whatever, that you showed the work to a friend or mentor or a colleague to get feedback? You know, you talked about getting immersed and maybe losing sight of things. And so I just, I guess I wanted to get your opinion on at what point in a long-term project should you put your cards on the table and show them to somebody. I think it's really difficult to give any kind of generic to that. I mean, I didn't show it to anybody until it was completely finished, primarily because I suppose I didn't know anybody who I felt I could show the work to who would get it. And so I didn't. Um, Now I know lots of people I could do that to, and I would have shown it to them. I think that the issue with this kind of work is that it becomes so personal to you it's very very difficult to actually share it perhaps it's never shared perhaps the long form project is only revealed at the point at which the photographer feels they can't go on any further with it for one reason or another i mean i think there's an analogy there to people who write novels um, you know, at least I know people share chapters or, or, or this or that, but, um, the stereotype is really that you wait till your 400 pages are, are typed up 
before you hand them to somebody because you you sort of wouldn't want to get thrown off by other people's perspectives in the middle of this of creating this this project. I think you're right. And also, um, not my next book that comes out, but the, the following book, which needs to be finished by the end of this coming summer. I did share the first chapter with somebody and the structure of it is very, very different, um, perhaps from what people are used to reading. And the feedback I got from it was, yeah, but it's like this. And I went, yeah, it's meant to be like that. And then right. I instantly thought, no, I, until you, I, I finished the book, you're not going to understand why. And I found myself saying, yeah, but it happens like this because this, because then the, this, or the, maybe you can't share it. Right. And that's okay. I think it's fine. I think that, okay. you know, I think it's okay. I mean, we're always saying about collaborate and get opinions or whatever. Maybe the long-term project, um, maybe you shouldn't. Right. Who else um, do you speak to, Bill? Well, I, I spoke with um, uh, Richard Sherum, who's who's been on the podcast and, and who we've talked about on the podcast. And he's um, one of my favorite documentary photographers working today. He's old school in the best possible way. And I recently wrote the text for an incredible photo essay of his that will be appearing in the March issue of uh, Texas Monthly. And when that when that comes out, we'll um, you know, we'll we'll update the show notes with the with the link to that, because people should really see these pictures it's it's a it's about homicide in in america will that be available online with biotech for texas Monster? it will it will be it right. will be uh so richard is all about long-term projects for his projects about america a project about american homicide which i just referenced he spent one year with the dallas police department and another year with the families of both murderers and the victims of the murders for his spina americana project spine of america he spent three years looking at a long, narrow swath of America, and, and Goss will publish um, the book later this year. And his Campesino Cuba project, which was, was an incredible book that came out a couple of years ago, uh, required nearly four years. So so Richard goes whole hog. I'll put it that way. And he's uh, also a very determined, strong thinking, strong speaking kind of a guy. He is. And of all the photographers that I've worked with, you know, in the last year or two, he he's the guy that that could have been on staff at Life Magazine, because yeah, um, he just he has that kind of determination and soul. Um, so so I asked him um, the same question I've asked the other photographers: What is a what do you think a long term project gives you that a short term project doesn't? And he said, perspective, not just as a photographer but as a human. Unlike conventional advice given to photographers ad nauseum, I don't do a lot of research about a uh, about a people, land, a situation before I start working on it. I let myself be changed by the experience of working on that particular subject. That doesn't mean I never do research, but I generally do it in the midst of what I'm working on or to see how it compares with what I'm experiencing. More often than not, the research falls short of of the facts on the ground. In addition, spending a short amount of time with a subject is usually detrimental to the project because you cannot speak of something justifiably without being invested in it. The sacrifice of time and mental energy is required for a photographer to do their best work. They must give of themselves. This is what is missing, he says, in a lot of work these days, and it shows. 
Uh, it must be taken seriously and without haste, plus providing justice to your subject be, um, by becoming the mediator between them and the general public should be the ultimate goal. And that can't even be comprehended by an individual intent on a short visit. Wow. Once again, great words and so thoughtful and, and well considered. Reminds me of somebody who perhaps we can't have this episode without mentioning or discussing, which is Eugene Smith. Because, you know, if we're going to talk about the long-term project, surely we must mention Eugene. And I think Richard there kind of echoed a lot of Eugene's kind of approach. Well, when I was thinking, when I was saying a minute ago about um, Richard being a Life magazine photographer, Eugene Smith was the photographer I was I was thinking of because it's it's that kind of dedication, and in 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 the best possible way, that kind of hard minded stubbornness to follow a story um, and to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. And I suppose in that case, you know, we've spoken about the positives, we've spoken about the negatives, and Eugene Smith's Pittsburgh project perhaps is is the the golden example mm. of what great work can be produced, but also how careful you have to be that it doesn't consume you. I I think that's um, it, that's exactly right. Um, I asked. Um, speaking of consuming, I, I asked Richard, how does a long term project? change the way you see the subjects, and also how does it change the way you see yourself? And he said, all photography, especially documentary work, is simply a mirror of the photographer. There is no objectivity in documentation. The image becomes a symbiotic, physical manifestation of the relationship between the photographer and the environment they are documenting. I like to think of an environment pulling energy out of the photographer and simultaneously the photographer pulling energy out of the environment. It truly is a feeling unlike any other. It is as if you melt into the wall and you disappear. The sooner a photographer realize this, realizes this and embraces it, the better and more honest they will become in finding their true voice. Okay, so it's it's all in, isn't it? For Richard, it's all in. Yeah. So I think to a certain extent, if we were to provide some balance to that, is that the long-term project, by its nature, doesn't necessarily have to be all in every day, all of the time. I think that's right. And, you know, as I'm reading these quotes to you and thinking about who I spoke with, you know, I'm naturally drawn to narrative documentary photography. And that's, and that's sort of who I spoke with here. But there are other kinds of long-term projects. You know, you mentioned your daughter um, shooting out the window on the way to school. You know, you can take a picture of your child every day. You can take a picture of your garden. You can do abstract things that don't require, that are long-term and that offer you the benefits of a long-term project, but that don't require you to go to Cuba or to, or to speak to the families of, of murdered victims. Yeah, exactly. And I can't remember, and, and I'm sure somebody listening will remind me the name of the photographer, but I have got a book of a photographer who literally just photographed the same uh, pole, fence pole in a field for years, um, and the bird that comes to that pole. Oh, that's great. And I can't remember for the life of me. I will Again, I'll put it in the show notes um, because I do have the book. Um, 
But that kind of simplicity of idea, I think, does often um, really reaps a strong kind of a connection between the photographer and what they're doing and why they're doing it. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Um, the idea of why am I doing that? How important do you think that is to be sort of articulated in your own head before you uh, take off on a, on a project? I think we maybe disagree on this. I'm not sure. I think it's really, really important. I I'd some again. I was listening to somebody talk the other day, and they said that um, whenever they um, teach football, soccer, they always stand in front of the team, and the question they ask is, "Why am I here?" And you know, he, he gets every player to work out why are they there. Because if you work out why you're there, you might have an idea as to what you need to do. What's your responsibility? I do not disagree. Um, I agree that that whatever you tell yourself can change and can change in a moment. Um, and it, And it's good to change. But I think to start out with some intentionality is hugely important. You're, you're, you're like, you're, you're not just there to sort of soak up the, soak up the ambiance. You've got something on your mind. Again, that thing can shift and should shift perhaps, but the idea of going in, looking for something, um, uh, either within yourself or externally is important. I think so. I think you need to have that kind of rigor. I think you need to, to put in that work before you do it. Because if you don't, you're not going to stick at it. You know, you are. It's, uh, the long term is going to become short term pretty quick. Yeah, I wanted to mention one other long term project that came to mind when you mentioned the fence post, which is beginning in I believe 1974. Uh, photographer Nicholas Nixon took a photograph once a year of the Brown sisters. I believe they were in California. And so from the time they were essentially kids or young teenagers, I can't remember, to when these women are now, I think, in their 60s. Um, and so he has these photographs that show them aging and their sort of body language changing with respect to each other over the course of, you know, 50, 60 years. And it's 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 a, a, takes a lot of dedication from both the photographer and the subjects, and it paid off. But in a way, I suppose I mean you've made me you've you've made me think here as well, which is that the family album is perhaps the greatest long term project that we all have. I mean, over Christmas, I had uh, uh, we have a family album from nineteen sixty two. It's the first album of all of our my father's albums, and I had to have it rebound because it's been looked at so often. <laughs> um, but that book is a long-term project because he's still working on it now, but he started it in 1962. So I don't think that I have a family album where every photo is taken by the same person. Like what's also interesting, it's a, it's a collective, you know, Aunt, Aunt Sylvia sends you uh, photos from the two-year-old's birthday that she took, and that goes in the album. Okay, that is interesting because um, the other thing that I do, these long-term projects keep coming, but I photograph, uh, my wife and I photograph our daughter throughout the year, uh, but never with anybody. She's always on her own. And uh -huh. then at the end of the year, we make a book 
um, which is printed and, and what have you. And that's the book of that year. And when we started it, my wife was saying, yeah, but when she looks back, she'll think she never had any friends. <laughs> and there's no family in them. There's nothing. But now, of course, it's become a thing because we're 11 years in. So I love the fact that these projects start off with a concept in your head or in my head and then take on a life of their own um, yeah. and, and, and gain their own momentum. And that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing when that happens. Well, I think maybe that's, that's the positive place um, with the, uh, the long-term project is although we've listened and we've heard to some very erudite descriptions, we don't need to be put off and think we can't do it if we aren't thinking that way. That thought process may come later in the process, but we should have some kind of an idea at the beginning. Yeah. And I also think for someone who's never done a long-term project before, as we've heard, the benefits are tremendous, but I don't think you need to start off with a project as intense as any of the photographers that we've just heard from. Um, you can start off with something humble and small and own that thing, you know, really own it. And then you can move on to another long-term project, uh, taking the lessons that you've learned. But that photographing of the people around you and the family that's around you and the environment around you really is that that thing I talk a lot about, which is uh, photography's memory-made history. And what yes. I mean by that, and somebody questioned me the other day about it, I said, this, well, memory is subjective, and hopefully history is objective, or at least has a sense of objectivity around it. And therefore, we're taking memory and making it history. And mm -hmm. the, the photographer you're talking about, they're making that work around the architecture thing. That's exactly what they're doing. Those memories are truly history. That's right. And that really, I think, is the long-term project. Don't worry. I mean, we haven't spoken about worrying about getting it published, doing this with it. We've spoken very much about actually the benefits and the, to the photographer, the challenges, but also the amount that you can get from it, which I think is a very positive way to start a year. Absolutely. And I guess, the, you know, the other side of, of it is, you know, again, forgetting the gallery, forgetting the book, anything else. If you embed with a community or a place, there's another gift here, which is the gift of your photographs to that community or to that place. Um, if you If you have followed them for two years or three years, to be able to give them photographs of their community and their people over a longish period of time, that's a very beautiful thing to do because it's not just for you. Um, they've let you in, they've offered you their, their presence and in return, um, let them share in the, in the, in the beauty of a long-term project. Yeah. I mean, I was watching, I don't know if you're aware of the photographer Tish Murtha. Um, yes. Uh, Ella uh, Murtha uh, contributed to episode seven, I realized the other day <laughs> of the podcast, but um, I watched the film Tish the other evening, uh, which is a, a really, a really strong piece of work um, by Paul Singh. And her documentation of the community and her family and her brothers that she grew up in means so much to them now, you know, and 
it gave them a sense of worth, which at the time they didn't feel and that they had. And now photographs of them hang in Tate Britain in London. I love it. Which in itself is is just the perfect kind of uh, example of exactly what you're talking about, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Listen, Bill, thank you once again. Thank you to all the people you spoke to, all the contributors. Um, I don't think that there are many people who can listen to this episode who won't have to play it back again or listen to it again to really take in the uh, the quality and the depth of, of, of those contributions. Um, and I think in a, in a way that is kind of testament of the importance of the, of the long-term project that they've brought us such rich thought processes. Well, if working on a long-term project would allow me to speak as eloquently and insightfully as um, Aaron Springer and Rich Frischman and and uh, Richard Sherum, uh, I'd be all in. Yeah, me too. Maybe it's time for a long-term project. <laughs> Although I have to say the the podcast has kind of become my long-term project yep. anyway, and our conversation has become a long-term project as well. And I love it. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for your hard work. And uh, we'll catch up again next month. Thanks so much, Grant. That just leaves me with the suggestion that you all take care over the coming week. And I'll see you next week, as I always do.